Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.Church, every life made different. The idea of this series is that, uh, that many of us feel like we have been tossed out or abandoned or uh, discarded, that maybe our lives don't have value, um, just like stuff in a thrift shop, but we can take the stuff in a thrift shop and it can be restored. It can be um, put back. It can be made valuable again. And so that's really what this series is about. And we're using an, an end table as a metaphor. And so I bought an end table for 7 or $8 at uh, Salvation Army. And, um, and we're just taking it and working with that to display what God wants to do in our lives. And so two weeks ago, we talked about what does it mean to be stripped. And when God strips us or the enemy strips us, Uh, There's a redemptive plan behind that, that God wants to work in spite of that. Um, And so we strip that table down. So on Tuesday nights, this Tuesday is our last one, uh, we're we're doing something, uh, we're Facebook living. Is that a a verb, Facebook living? I don't know. I just made that up. So we're, we're, we're going, we're doing Facebook. We're, we're on the Facebook. Um, (laughs) So, so we'll, we'll be on Facebook live. Uh, Tuesday night at seven o'clock and I'm working through this table together. And so what we're doing is we're answering questions about the previous weekend's message. Uh, We're talking about that a little bit, the application, and then we're just showing what that looks like on this table that we're working through. And so uh, two weeks ago, we stripped the table down. And what that means is we took away the outer layer that was once there to protect it. Uh, So it might've been the the polyurethane or the lacquer, whatever they put to finish it, to protect it. We stripped that off. Um, Last week, we sanded it down. And so the sanding process, we just sanded the whole thing to prep it so that we can refinish it. And so this week, uh, we're talking about what does it mean to be stained. Um, And so part of the staining process is to finish removing the stain from before, uh, but it's, it's a long process. But that's my favorite part when I'm refinishing a piece of furniture because that's the portion when you start to see the change. You really start to see the color and the new life in it. Uh, and the staining process is important because, um, number one, you remove the old stain, you apply a new stain, but the stain can protect a piece of furniture because the stain actually bonds with the, the, the wood itself, so it can offer some protection, especially if it's uh, something that's intended to be outdoor. It offers protection against the elements, and so that stain is important because it helps to offer protection. It also adds color. It also uh, accentuates the grain that's already present in the wood, so that which is already there, it helps you see it a little better. It accentuates some of the, uh, some of the grain, and for some of the stuff I do, I like to, I like to rough it up and so you get to see that, that um, the stain accentuated in some of the rough spots, in some of the, the dents and dings. Uh, it really adds some dimension to it. It, it makes it more unique. Um, and so that's why we stain things. That's what it looks like. And if you look at Scripture, uh, we see a word, several words for stain throughout the Old Testament especially, uh, and a few places in the New Testament. And that's what I want to take a few minutes and talk to you about today. Uh, in Jeremiah 2, it says, Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is before me, declares the Lord God. And, and this passage is, um, the, the prophets were not always the nicest people in the world because they were bringing difficult messages to the people. And they're usually bringing messages of repentance. But then they were following that up with a message of 
restoration. Hey, you need to repent, and if you repent, then God will restore you. And in some ways, our message today is the same thing. Uh, if, if, if today we're stained much like they were there, it says, though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord God. What God is saying is um, the stain of your sin is so evident that nothing you can do will fix it. And this is something we talk about here at Summit regularly, is that we don't save ourselves. We can't save ourselves. No amount of church attendance will, will make God decide to love us. No amount of good deeds or good actions, no amount of waving people in in traffic, none of that stuff will ever balance the scales in such a way where then God will go, okay, I guess I, guess I forgive them now. The only thing that does it is the blood of Christ. Jesus Christ paying the price and being the sacrifice for us is what brings salvation and what brings restoration. It's what removes the stain of sin in our lives. So what God is saying here is no matter how hard you scrub, it is not coming out. No matter how hard you work, the stain, it cannot be removed. And in fact, the word here for stain, it's katham in the Hebrew, and it means to be deeply stained. Um... Have you ever stained something, maybe not a piece of wood, but it was something you didn't want to stain, like a rug? Maybe you've never done woodworking and you stained a piece of furniture, but do uh, you remember when you were a kid? We didn't drink a lot of Kool-Aid at my house when I was a kid, um, and it wasn't because we were poor necessarily. It was because my mom knew me pretty well, and, and if I did have Kool-Aid, my favorite was, was fruit punch Kool-Aid, and it was red, you remember? And I never identified things by their flavor, by their color. Well, what kind of Kool-Aid do you want? Red, right? Does anybody still do that? What kind of Gatorade do you want? Blue. I want blue. Well, what flavor is that? I don't know. Blue. That's what I want, right? <laughs> so I'd get this red Gatorade, and I'd have to hold it with both hands because my mom would say this, and maybe you had a mom too, that said something like, you better be careful because it will, it will stain, right? And what she's saying is if you get that Kool-Aid on your shirt you're gonna be in trouble. You better not spill the Kool-Aid on the carpet because if you do, it'll be cheaper for me to replace you than the carpet, right? <laughs> I will find myself a new child instead. So there was concerns, right? Because that Kool-Aid will stain. And once the stain is set, it is hard to remove. It's hard to extract that stain. In Isaiah 59.3, it says, For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. And this word defiled here, um, it's, it's, the Hebrew is gawal. Uh, and what it means is to defile, pollute, or to desecrate. So what it's saying here is, is your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with iniquity. So again, it's this idea that our sin stains us, it marks us. And what it says here is it actually says that it desecrates us. Our hands are desecrated with blood. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about uh, the sanding process. And one of the things we talked about was this, this um, religious word of sanctification, and sanctification is the process by which God makes us holy. And so sanctification literally means to make holy. And this is this ongoing process in our life that God continues to shape us more and more into his image. He uses that, that, that sandpaper to, rough, to take away the rough edges, to, to smooth us out, to help us become who he wants us to be. So it's this process of making us holy. And one of the words we talked about in conjunction with sanctification was consecration. And it's a similar word, but it means to set apart to make holy. 
And so this word consecrate here, compared to the word we just heard, desecrate, are, are totally different meanings. So consecrate means to set apart as holy, to make something holy, and desecrate means to take something that's holy and make it common. And this is what happens when we allow sin to, to be resident in our lives. Now, understand me, because we're, we're in this progressive sanctification process, we're becoming more like Christ every day, we're still going to sin. But what we're talking about is, is habitual, unrepentant sin. Sin that we say, well, I can do this and God's got to forgive me. That's a problem. Not the phone call. <laughs> That's not awesome. But the problem is this idea that we can sin and God's got to forgive us no matter what we do. And I love it when that happens because then everybody simultaneously goes mute, you know, silent. <laughs> I'm not going to be that guy, right? <laughs> and if you're that guy, I love you anyway. It's, don't worry. So. so what we have to understand is that the difference between consecration is being set apart for a holy purpose. And, and be, when, we're, when we're desecrating ourselves, what we're doing is we're taking something that God intended to be holy and we're making it common. So when we allow sin to reside in us, when we live in sin and just go, oh, it's no big deal, God's got to forgive me, what we're doing is presuming upon the grace of God, which Paul warns us against, but what we also are doing is we're making something that's holy, which is us. God has a holy purpose and a plan for each of us, and when we live in unrepentant sin, what we're doing is desecrating ourselves. We're taking something that's intended to be holy and making it common, and God wants to use holy things for holy purposes, uh, and you might sit here today and go, no, I'm not holy. I'm just, I'm just a guy. I just work construction. I'm just a mom, Right? I, I, I'm, this is, I'm not holy. I'm not called. I don't have a purpose. You are wrong on every count. In, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, talking about God, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. So what it's saying here is every one of you in this room and every one of you watching online have a purpose and a plan and a calling and God's purpose for you is to be holy. Um, one of the ideas of sanctification is to return something to its intended purpose. And your intended purpose is to live a holy life for the glory of God. That's what he wants for you. And so this idea that he is, is stripping and sanding and staining us is, is that he's returning us to our original purpose. He's removing us from our life and putting us in the life that he dreamed for us to have. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 16, it says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. This is God speaking. He says, cease to do evil. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. I love this. And in looking back at this passage through the lens of the cross, I think we understand this. It says initially, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove evil uh, the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Now, this is what we understand now. What we understand now is I can't wash myself. I cannot make myself clean. The work of Jesus on the cross is what 
allows me to be clean, is what allows me, as it says later, to be white as snow. So we have used terminology like this in church, and sometimes it becomes churchy language that people that are new to church or people that uh, aren't followers of Jesus don't really understand. So I want to walk through this a little bit with you today. So what it says is, um, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, and what, what God is telling the people is, consecrate yourselves. So set yourselves apart for a holy purpose. Set yourselves apart because I've got something important for you to do. And then he goes on to say, stop doing evil, right? That seems pretty basic. Stop doing stupid stuff, right? That's, I just saved you a lot of money in counseling right then, right? <laughs> just do it. Stop doing stupid stuff and your marriage will be better, right? So it says cease to do evil and then it says learn to do good. And we have to learn to do good because honestly, don't we struggle to do good on our own most of the time? When Jesus comes alive in us, that's when we begin to learn how to do good. And he says, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. And what he's talking about here is helping those that are marginalized. And um, the truth is, the, the reason I believe many churches are in decline in, our, in the United States is not because we don't have the right marketing strategy. Uh, it's not because we're not live streaming. It's not because of any of those things. The reason I think many churches are struggling uh, is because we have stopped looking out and we have started looking in. We have started being more concerned about what we want, what we desire, instead of doing these things. We've stopped caring about how to do good or seeking justice or correcting oppression or bringing justice to the fatherless or pleading the widow's cause. We aren't looking out for those that are marginalized, and that's the heart of Christ, is to look out for those and to speak for those that can't speak for themselves, to come alongside those that are powerless, to empower them to do and become what God wants them to be. And I feel like in our community, we can be this, not as a church, but as individuals, because you are the church. What happens in our community if we begin to do that? If, if Jesus comes alive in us like never before and these things start to happen, our community has changed. Your workplace has changed. The campus has changed. Why? Because we're doing what God wants us to do. We're returning back to our original purpose. So he says, wash yourselves, right? Make yourselves clean. It comes down to the end, and it says, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, so again, it's this idea that we're stained. Your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall become like wool. And two things I want you to see here. These are parallel comments, but what he's saying is uh, your sins are like scarlet, your sins are like crimson. And, and scarlet and crimson are both terms as we know as colors, and they were colors that described a specific type of dye that was used in ancient in, in the ancient east. And what they would do is they would take uh, typically berries and they would stain material to make it the dark red color. And once that material was stained, there was no turning back, <laughs> right? So once it was red, there was no unredding that. Does that make sense? <laughs> like it is red. And then it talks about white and you shall become white as snow and they shall become white as wool. And the reason we see this is because uh, White was a difficult color to maintain in the ancient uh, Middle East, in the ancient Far East even, because just conditions were so dirty. A few years ago, well, about 20 years ago, I went to Russia for a missions trip, and I was there about 10 days, and while I was there, I noticed something, that all of the locals wore dark colors. And they were dressed kind of like what I would be today, in, in black, black pants, black shoes, black shirt, and I just thought they were de depressed because they were communists, right? Like... Oh, we have toilet paper shortages. I'm going to dress in black, right? 
I wish I had a loaf of bread. I'm going to dress in black because I'm in mourning. I didn't know what it was. And I just thought, like, I'd seen Rocky Four, so I know what Russia's about, right? <laughs> I learned everything about Russia that I need to know from Rocky Four. So, uh, so you, you have this stereotype. And when I got there, I was like, they're all in black. I thought, why are they all in black? Because that's not very happy. And I, so I was wearing khaki pants and... And I realized about 10 minutes after I got outside why they wear black. It's because, because of the, the mess from the roads. And we know about dirty snow around here in western Pennsylvania. The snow gets dirty from the road and from the dirt and from the mess. And then it gets on your pants. And if you're wearing black, you don't see it. It hides it, right? But if you're in white, if you're in ta- ta- khaki pants, you're going to see it. It picks it right up. So I could wear those pants once. And then after that, I was done because they were dirty, right? And this is what was going on in the Middle East. In the, in the Middle East at this time, if you wore white, it was not going to be white very long. It was difficult to maintain a white color. And so when, when God is speaking to the nation here and he says, listen, you are stained. Your sins have stained you like scarlet. It was something they understood very well. It is stained in such a way there's no undoing that. And he said, but guess what? Your stains are like scarlet. They have stained you but, but I'm going to make you white. And I'm not just going to make you white. I'm going to make you white as snow. I'm going to make you white as wool. I'm going to remove that stain that's penetrated deeply in you. I'm going to remove that from you. And I'm thankful today because I know there are people here in this room that you feel like I am stained so far I cannot be forgiven. I've done too much. I've been involved with too much. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. And, and you feel guilt and condemnation. And you feel like I'm stained too far to be restored. But it's just not true. Um, this last week, I guess two weeks ago, I was in my basement. I was doing some, some work, and I have some shop towels that I, I use. And um, shop towels are the towels that no one would want for any other reason except to clean up a, a big mess in a basement, basically. And so I don't know if your house is like my house, but there's four subtle levels of towels, okay? Let me explain them to you. Level four. Shop towel. This is, this is the step right before the trash, okay? So this is like the only purpose it's got is to, if Mel spills some, you know, some paint, we're going to mop it up with the shop towel. Level four, shop towel. Level three, this is a towel that still has use, but you'd never let a guest use it. Does that make sense? It's the towel you've had that you got when you got married, and it's like, it's all worn, it's not in great shape. You'll use it, but you're never going to give it to a guest, okay? So that's your, that's your towel, everyday towel. Level two, this is your guest towel. This is the one that's nice and fluffy, but you never use it yourself. You only let the guests use it. If your kids use it, they get the look, you know, and you're like, no, that's a guest towel, right? Because your guests use it, and they're like, man, this must be what their, all their towels are like. They live in the lap of luxury because of these thick, full towels, right? That's level two. Level one, Level one is the for looks towel. This is the towel that is monogrammed. It is the towel that just hangs up, but nobody ever uses. And if you use it, mama's going to get mad at you, right? Some of you are familiar with the towel system, I see. Um, so a couple weeks ago, I'm in the basement, and I've got all these shop towels, and I keep them in separate piles to, to not confuse them. And these are towels that have oil and old stain and all kinds of stuff on them. They're gross. And I bought some new little rags at Lowe's and they're red and, um, and they're intended to use it a few times and you probably throw it away, but I'm cheap. So I decided I'm going to wash it. And I, I've done laundry plenty of times. I know if I wash red with white, I know what's going to happen. But 
I'm way ahead of you because it's all shop towels. So I don't care if my shop towels are pink because if you've done laundry, let me help you college students. If you do laundry, uh, hot water, and you put red in with white, everything will become pink, okay? So stuff you don't want to be pink will become pink. Um, so, so I thought, no big deal, right? Shop towels, who cares? So I dump, dump them all in, and I turn it on hot, man, and the hot water's coming out, the steam, and I'm, it's perfect. So I put the detergent in, I close it up, just 20, 25 minutes later, I hear that, it's done. And I was in the basement working, so I go in there, and I open it up, and I open up the dryer, and I start taking stuff out and throwing it in, and I reach in, and I realize, oh, no, there's a level one towel. <laughs> End with my level four towels. And so this idea that it's no big deal if they all get pink was squashed in that moment because I take out this towel, this four looks towel that was once not pink, which is now full on pink. And I wasn't going to hide it from my wife. I just, it wasn't, I, I didn't see her. We didn't talk about it. And that wasn't on the top of my mind. Like when she got home, I was waiting on her to go, babe, I'm so sorry. I ruined your favorite towel. Like I just wasn't thinking about it. And so I didn't. I didn't hide it from her, I folded it up, we took it upstairs, and I was like, oh gosh. And when I first saw it, I thought, maybe it was pink before. <laughs> I don't remember, maybe it was. It was not, it was not. So I returned it upstairs, and I think it was yesterday, maybe Friday, uh, I, was, uh, I was in the kitchen, and my wife comes out of the basement, and I had all of my shop towels like folded up after I did the laundry, and she said, babe, why are your towels pink? I said, well, because I did the laundry for you. And she said, oh, okay. And I said, at least I do the laundry though, right? Like, I might screw it up royally. And so, you know, I apologized for her towel. She said, oh, I saw it. It's no big deal. And it was fine. But that towel is never going to be restored, right? It is beyond recovery. And some of you today feel like that towel. And I'm telling you today, you're not beyond recovery today. You're not beyond restoration. God has something for you if you'll just trust him. In John chapter one, verse 29, um, John the Baptist was speaking and it says in John 1, 29, he's talking about Jesus. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he's using this imagery from the Old Testament uh, that these lambs, the, the sheep were used for sacrifices. And we see this goes all the way back into Genesis. In the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve when they sinned, uh, God intervened and he killed an animal and he covered them with the skin of that animal. And what he was doing was covering their sinfulness. He was, he was covering it. And, and what came later was animal sacrifice. The blood of the animal paid the price for our sin. And what it did is it covered us. And what this was doing was foreshadowing what Jesus would eventually do, that the sacrifice of Christ on the cross is the once and for all payment for our sins, that there's no more animal sacrifice required because the blood of Jesus is what pays for or atones for or covers our sins today. And so what this is doing is foreshadowing that. And what John the Baptist was doing was describing that, but he didn't even realize what he was doing. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Hebrews 9.22, it says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So see, in, in Scripture, we see blood talked about a lot. We've heard it in churchy language, right? Old hymns of the church, we have heard talk about the blood. And the blood was so important in 
in the Old Testament because it did so many things. It was used to purge ritual impurity. It was used in the purification ceremony for lepers. It was used to consecrate priests. It was used to atone for sins. It was used as a sign of covenant and protection for believers. Uh, in fact, if you look in the book of Exodus, the, the nation of Israel was enslaved to Egypt, and uh, God had sent plagues, and then finally, uh, God says, hey, I'm gonna send uh, the death angel. He's gonna come through, and he's going to take the life of the firstborn in Egypt, so the firstborn of the animals, the firstborn of the people. He said, I'm, we're going to take the firstborn of each household. But if, if you mark your home with the blood on your doorposts, it will be a sign of covenant. It will be a sign that you were with me, and I will pass over your house. That's where we, they, they have the, the feast of Passover. So it was a, a sign of covenant. So the blood represents so much, but we don't get it in our Western mindset. We don't understand what it's really about. I grew up in a church that sang hymns, and I love hymns, and there's reasons we don't sing many hymns around here, and we won't get into that right now, but I grew up on hymns. My girls still know some of the hymns that I sang to them when they were growing up, but one of the hymns we sang that was always confusing to me, uh, does anybody remember the song, Washed in the Blood? A few of you? Yeah. See, if you grew up in the South, um, it wasn't called Washed in the Blood, it was called Washed in the Blood, so you had an R in there. I don't know where that came from, but that's what you do. So washed in the blood, I won't sing it to you, but after I read the lyrics to you, you will probably have it stuck in your head the rest of the day if you know it. It says, have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the lamb? Are you fully trusting in his grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the precious blood of the lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the lamb? This is a song that confused me because this is what I knew about blood. If I bled on some piece of clothing that was good, it was no longer a good piece of clothing, right? If I was riding my bike and I happened to be wearing my good jeans and I fell off of said bike, which was common for me, and I got blood on the jeans, they were no longer Sunday jeans. Those were play jeans. And my mom was not thrilled about that. Um, I asked my mom one time, I said, how come all of my pictures growing up, I have like marks and cuts and bruises all over my face? Why is that? And she said, because if I would have waited till you weren't bruised up, I would have never had a picture of you. I said, oh, okay. I was an active kid. I ran hard, played hard. I would make messes. And so I was thinking about the stains. And so when we would sing this song in church, Washed in the Blood, it didn't make intuitive sense to me at all. Because I knew that blood ruins things. And maybe you have kind of thought the same thing. And when we look at this um, this idea of being washed in the blood, sometimes we get stuck on it because we think, about, we think about what our mindset is with blood. We think about it in a clinical way, that they take blood, um, they, I, I give blood, whatever it is, when I bleed a little bit. There were laws in Scripture regarding blood, even down to if your gums bleed, whether you should swallow it or spit it out. Because the Jewish people looked at blood dramatically different than we do. And when, when Jewish people uh, think about the blood, what they're really thinking about is that this is where life is seated in the human being. That the blood is uh, connected spiritually to our soul. So when someone bleeds, it's a bigger deal than just, oh, they got a little cut. Uh, when Jesus gives his life for us and his blood atones for us, it's a much bigger deal than he just died for us. He literally gave 
everything for us because the blood of Christ is powerful, not just in a spiritual sense, but even if we take it back to its Jewish context, it is powerful. And so what we have to understand is um, when we think about blood, we get stuck on that idea of just what it is, it's blood. But what we need to do is shift our thinking a little bit and understand that the blood of Christ is where the life of Christ is seated. And so if we're covered in the blood of Christ, what we're really covered in is the life of Christ. And so let me help shift your thinking a little bit today. Stop thinking about it as being washed in blood and start thinking about it as being washed in the life of Christ. Because when we are washed in the life of Christ, everything changes. Nothing will stay the same. When the the life of Christ is applied to us, um, that stain from sin is lifted out and it disappears. That, That which was once crimson becomes white as snow. Does that make sense? So... So this is what we do. We, we allow Christ, we apply the life of Christ to our lives. We're, we're covered in the life of Christ and it removes the stain of sin. So what happens is we remove one stain so we can apply another stain to us, if I can say it that way. We take away one mark so we can apply another mark to our lives. In 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17, if you've been through growth track, you might've heard me talk about this uh, in our growth track. Uh, but um, I love this passage, and it connects to our vision statement. Our vision statement here at Summit Church is every life made different. And the reason um, we've chosen those words is it's specific, and it's tied to this passage. And it says in 2 Corinthians 5.16, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard, no, uh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so what it says is um, we don't regard people according to what they look like, according to our first impression, because our first impressions are wrong sometimes. We judge people based on how they look, what they drive, how they dress, all those kind of things. And he says, we don't do that any longer. We used to do that, but we don't do that any longer. He said, we even did that with Christ. Maybe some of you are like that. You thought, I could never go to church because if I go to church, man, uh, everything would have to change, and man, uh, they stop letting me have fun, and right? And you have the, all these preconceived ideas. You judge Christ before you meet Christ. And he says, but that all changed. So once we know Christ, there's a shift in our heart and in our lives. Things change. How we see things, think, believe, all those things begin to change. So he goes on to say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this word new here, in the Greek, it's kainos. And this is an awesome word. And this is where we, we use that word different in our vision statement. Every life made different. Um, so the word kainos, in respect to form, it means recently made, fresh, recent, unused, unworn. Um, we, there's, a, there's a restaurant that we don't have in our area. And it probably is a good thing we don't have it in our area. But there's a restaurant that I, that I love. So if I'm traveling and I see this restaurant, I will stop in sometimes. Um, and it's, it's called Krispy Kreme Donuts. Is anyone familiar? <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> Krispy Kreme Donuts. So you're, you're driving along and you see a Krispy Kreme Donuts and they have a sign, a big neon sign in the window. And if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. It's like a light from heaven. And it comes on and it says, hot now. <laughs> is anybody familiar with the hot now sign? Oh. So what you do is you pull in. You say, I would like some glazed donuts, please. And they bring you these hot glazed donuts. Literally, they've just come through the conveyor belt. Glazed, it is, it is, it's, 
It's a spiritual experience when you consume these. For just a moment, you connect with God in such a real, it's amazing, it's crazy. There is nothing better than a hot now, fresh off the conveyor belt, Krispy Kreme donut. There is nothing worse than a day old Krispy Kreme donut. If they are fresh, they're incredible. If they're old, I won't touch them. Like, eh, right? If they're fresh, I would stick my face in them. Oh, right? They're awesome when they're fresh. They're incredible. When they're old and stale, no thank you. Eh. I think they're worse than normal donuts when they're old. This is the thing. In terms of form, what the scripture is saying is you are made fresh. If I can say it like this, when we come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, when he comes alive in us, when we're washed in the life of Christ, you're hot now. Some of you are like, that's the first time anybody's called me hot. <laughs> you're welcome. I believe it. So kainos, in respect to form, what it says is you're hot now. Okay? In respect to substance, who you are, the core of your being, it means of a new kind, unprecedented, novel, uncommon, unheard of. And this is what God wants to do in your life. God wants you to, to be submerged in the life of Christ, to cover it in it, that every bit of you is consumed with the life of Christ. And what happens is he shifts you, he changes you, he makes you different. You're something unprecedented, you're something that's uncommon. You are totally new in him. You're not just an updated version of the old, you are something totally different. You're not just a restored old car, which restored old cars are, cars are beautiful. I love restored old cars. I like to look at them, but I don't wanna drive them. Do you know why? Because I like power steering and I like Bluetooth, right? I like heated seats. And what, what some of you think is God's gonna restore you. No, no, no. God's gonna make you to something totally different. See, see, you might be thinking 56 Buick, which is a great car. I'm thinking Jetson vehicle. Does that make sense? Which, by the way, it's 2018. Why aren't we driving those things already, right? He's gonna do something totally unique, totally different. And some of you are saying, no, I don't know if I like that because I like who I am. I don't want to be made different. And this is the beautiful thing about God. What God does is he will, he will stain us in such a way that he brings out the beauty that's already apparent in us, that's already resident there. See, that's what stain does. A stain will lift out some colors and help you see some details in some of the stain or some of the grain that's already there. It's gonna help you see that in a richer way. And I'm telling you today, you think you're alive, but when a Christ comes alive in you, you're gonna be more alive than ever before. God doesn't want us to be robots. Did you know that? I, I think God loves the diversity. When you look at this room, I love the diversity in this room. I love seeing people of different ethnicities and people of different ages. I love when people in small groups connect, you know, an 80-year-old connects with an IUP student. I love that because there's diversity there. I love seeing people of very different backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, that'll connect in a small group and build relationship because I think God delights in diversity. Our God is a creative God, so he does not mind that we are different. Um, there's a common misconception that, that Henry Ford only produced black Model Ts. Largely he did, 
But at the beginning of the production, at the very end of his production of Model Ts, they actually produced some different colors. But for a good part, most of uh, the, the life of the Model T, um, it was only produced in black. And somebody asked him one time about that, and, and Henry Ford actually said, any customer can have a car painted any color that he wants, as long as it's black. <laughs> and some, of, some people think God is this way. They think if I go to church, if I, if I get right with God, if I come into a relationship with God, then he's just churning out robots. That's what God does. We all have to think the same and act the same, and I can't have a personality, and I can't love some of the things that I love, maybe. But that's where the sanding process comes in, that God's going to refine us, God's going to help make us holy, Right? But then he stains us and he accentuates some of our differences and he reveals his beauty through some of the things that we already are because God wired us this way. So God doesn't want to make robots out of us. He wants us to understand that we are unique and different and made in his image. See, when we are washed in the life of Christ, what happens is we are made different in him. We're not just an updated version of the old, we are something entirely new. In Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So he says, giving is worship. We give ourselves up. That is worship. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What he's saying is, um, our lives are changed whenever we're we're washed in the life of Christ, whenever he consumes us, uh, we begin to think differently. Our mind shifts on things. And so what we have to understand is we're made different. We think differently. What we see in Proverbs 1.15, it says, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Talking about unbelievers, it says, hold back your foot from their paths. What it's saying is walk differently than the world walks. We should not be step in step with the world. Now again, if you remember what I talked about last week, it doesn't mean that we don't have a relationship with people in the world. How are we going to win the world if we think we're better than they are? How are we going to share the love of Christ with someone we don't even want to be around? So we embrace the world, we love the world, but we do not let the world influence us and in our walk with Christ. And that's a difficult idea to, to navigate and to walk through, um, but it's absolutely true. Do not walk with them. Think differently, walk differently, live differently. How do we do that? It's not by trying harder. It's by saying, God, I want to be washed in the blood. I want to be washed in the life of Christ. I want it to be in me so deeply that I don't have to make myself do things, that I don't have to make myself think differently, that Christ comes alive in me in such a way that I naturally begin to live differently. These are things that naturally occur. W.E. and Thomas said this, to be in Christ, that is redemption, but for Christ to be in you, that is sanctification. <laughs> She's really excited about this message today. <laughs> Galatians 6, 17 says this, from now on, no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And this is Paul talking, it's toward the end of his life, and he's written a letter to the Galatian church, and at the end of this letter, he hasn't been able to write it on his own. He's, he's, um, he's oh, dictated the letter, and someone else has written for him, written actual words. Um, and so we get to the end of this letter, and he says to the, the church that he's writing to, the Galatian church, he says, I've taken the pen, and I'm writing this with my own hand. And his eyesight was probably bad, so he says, I'm writing this larger 
I want you to know this is me writing. So he, he emphasizes this at the end of his letter. And he said, I want you to hear this. I want you to know it. From now on, let no one cause me trouble before I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And this word mark here, uh, in the Greek, it, it means stigma. And this word, um, in the ancient Orient, and even in Rome, this word was used to describe people who were either in slavery or people who were under the command of someone else. So if you were a soldier, you might have a mark on your body that signified who you reported to, who you answered to, who you served. Sometimes that was branded with a hot branding iron into someone's arm or back or chest as a way to mark who they served. Sometimes it was actually cut into them. And then once it healed, the scar would show the mark. And what Paul says is, I don't care what happens to me. He's basically saying, bring it on, because no matter what happens, I'm marked with the mark of Christ. So what he's saying is, uh, there's a mark that I bear that tells the world who I serve. It is clear to the people around me who I belong to, who my commanding officer is because of the mark that I bear. This table, um, I redid this table. We, it was an older table before, and I just I liked, wanted to do something else. So I recognize this because it has my marks. I've roughed it up. I've done some things to it, and I recognize it as mine because it bears my marks. Does that make sense? And so for some of you in this room, maybe you're here today. She's enthusiastic. <laughs> For some of you in this room today, maybe you're here and you've been religious. You've gone through the motions. Maybe you've attended church a lot through the years, but you recognize today that um, you've never really been washed in the life of Christ. You've never experienced life in him before. Maybe you're here today and you say, um, I, I, I'm, I think I'm going to heaven but I don't know if the people around me can identify who I serve based on the mark of my life. And I want to give you an opportunity to change both of those things today. So if you would, I'd like you to bow your head and close your eyes all over this room. Jesus, thank you for the people in this room today. Thank you that you paid the price for us, that, that your blood paid the price for our sins. That the, the life that is available in you, is available to us. So God, I pray today we would embrace that life, that we would be consumed with it, that it would cover us, that we would be washed in the life of Christ and let it change us and make us different. So God, I pray that you have your way with us. Lord, I pray for those that are here that would say they're believers, but that, that mark is absent from their life, that, that it may not be clear to the people around them who they serve and who they belong to. I pray that today your Holy Spirit would mark them. God, I pray for those that are here that aren't really in relationship with you, that you would help them surrender their lives fully to you. So God, have your way among us today. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just wanna ask if you're here today and you say to me, Mel, you know what? I'm, I'm like that person you described. I'm not really in relationship with God. I'm not really in relationship with Christ. I've never really surrendered my life. Maybe you're religious, maybe you've, said a prayer, but at the end of the day, you recognize the fact that, um, that you've never really experienced the life of Christ that we're talking about today. And you want to experience that. 
Maybe you're here and you said, Mel, I'm a Christian, but man, I want that mark on my life. That's great. Today's your day. So if you're here today and you said, Mel, pray for me. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I want to confess him as Savior. And I want to invite the life of Christ to be in my life as well. I'm not going to embarrass you or make you come forward. I just want to pray with you where you're at. So if that's you, would you be bold enough to raise your hand real high where I can see it? And you can put your hand right back down. Thank you. I see you over here on my left. Thank you. I see you. Yeah, thank you. Praise God. Thank you. Over here on my right, a couple of hands. Thank you. Who else would say, that's me? Pray for me, Mel. Okay. Thank you. I see you back on my right. Praise God. Thank you. I see you up in the balcony. Praise God. Now, with nobody looking around, I would like everybody in the room to repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for paying the price for my sins on the cross. Thank you that today you're taking away the stain of sin and you're washing me in your blood and making me white as snow. From this day forward, I am yours and you are mine and I'll never go back to my old life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give God a round of applause today. Love the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, we want to help you take the next step. If you prayed that prayer today, um, if you would take just a moment and fill a card out, it's in the seat back in front of you. On one side of the card, it says need prayer. On the other side of the card, it says salvation. Fill out the side of the card that says salvation and just drop it in one of our offering boxes as you leave today. We're going to help connect you in resources and relationships. They're going to help you grow in your faith and become who God wants you to be. If you're watching online and you'd like to respond, you can simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. When you do that, we're going to respond back to you and help you take the next step. If you're in the area, we'll connect you with resources here at Summit Church. If you're off somewhere throughout the United States, we're going to connect you to a life-giving uh, church in your area that you can get connected into resources and relationships there as well. So again, thank you for worshiping with us today. Here's what's going to happen now. The worship team is going to lead us in one final song. And while we're singing together, our prayer team is going to come forward. And they'll be on either side of the stage. So if you need prayer for any reason at all today, uh, as we're singing together, step out from your seat and find one of our prayer team members and let them agree with you in prayer. And then in just a moment, uh, we'll finish singing. And Pastor Ricky Ingram is our youth pastor. He'll come and he'll close us out and dismiss us. So stand to your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go today, guys. And I tell you this regularly. I hope you know it. I love you more than you know. And I'm so honored that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have a great day.